0: Welcome to the Boiled Owl Coffee Club Podcast, the meeting after the meeting where we talk about our experience living sober. We don't speak for Alcoholics Anonymous. This is only our experience. We have no monopoly on sobriety. If you don't like our approach, that's okay. There's lots of ways to live and lots of ways to live sober. This works for us.
1: I'm Don. And I'm Sam.
0: Hey, Sam.
1: Hey, Don. You know, uh, your eyes got really weird when you did that that opening. It was
0: kind of scary. It's probably all the coffee I'm drinking. Brrr, you vibrating? <laughs> I, well, you know, I don't think I'm well, Sam. I don't, I don't think I'm completely recovered. I got a coupon for Starbucks last week. I think it was on Thursday. <laughs> and it was buy one, get one free of an espresso drink. So I naturally got two for you venti no i got one for her a venti latte and one for myself and she i brought it back and she said why'd you get one that's so big i was like why would i get one that's smaller but (laughs) she had a couple of sips and she said well i don't want i don't want this so i drank it and i ended up just like a ball of nervous energy i was like anxious and Snappy. I was barking at her and I was like, going, uh, I can't fix dinner right now because I've got to do this other thing. And she was going, calm down, calm down. I'll be able to. It's like, what is going on? Oh, it's all that coffee that I drank. I drank myself into a state of unreasonableness.
1: <laughs> That's, that's a, a nice thing to do. By the way, that's Death Wish coffee that you're drinking right now.
0: Is it as strong as an espresso?
1: I, I wish I could t- tell you that I was telling the truth now, but I'm not. I'm uh, totally lying. It's plain old Maxwell House. Well, <laughs> I don't know
0: why. Everything that is, I want too much. I don't care what it is, I want too much. Because you're an alcoholic. I think it might have something to do with it. I was doing a job, uh, I'm a, a painter. And I was painting this lady's house, and she had a two-year-old, and I was painting in the kitchen. And the two-year-old was going, Mommy, I want a cookie. Mommy, I want a cookie. (laughs) And the mother said, Okay. She went to the pantry, opened up the door, and she looked back at her little girl and said, How many do you want? Mommy, I want too much. (laughs) (laughs) I like this girl. Oh, yeah. Let's save her a seat.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Let's cut right to the chase. Yeah, we're going to see her in about 20-some years. (laughs) I don't care what it is. Give me too much, and I'll be happy. That's a fantastic. (laughs) That's wonderful. I love that. I am. I am totally sticking that in my little digital archive. I, I am. I am. I hope I remember to pull that one out when the opportunity presents. Yeah. That's great. It tells a little story. How much do you want? How many do you want? Too much. I want too much. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have a guest. I'm really excited. For. We have a guest who like really went all out to complete be on the show. We have a guest who might be a little a bit obsessive. About travel enthusiast. He's
0: He's an an enthusiast. Surely not. Surely
2: not. Introduce yourself. Uh, Buddy C., Cartersville, Georgia, 361 miles. Woo! Buddy? On a motorcycle. On a motorcycle. Now turn around and go home. It's no big deal. (laughs) (laughs) It's better than going to Detroit and back to be on the podcast, which I did. Yes, I've heard
1: you on Recovered Podcast and on what was the share? Share. Yes. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much for coming and uh, hanging out for some coffee and some after-the-meeting meeting. I've
2: enjoyed it. You know, and we've already gone through my story when we were at uh, lunch, so I'm going <laughs> to yeah. pretend we have not talked. That, Who are you again? Yeah, I, I've never awesome. seen you in my life. <laughs> but, uh, it's great uh, visiting with you guys. Thanks for the invite.
1: Absolutely.
2: Thanks, yeah, thanks for being here. So, buddy, well, when did you get sober? Uh, my sobriety date is November 10th of 2008, but I... Was in and out of the program. I got sober in AA. Mm-hmm. Still attend AA. Six years prior, I was in and out. Mm-hmm. So it, it took six years for me to finally let go. And the last time that you came in, what was going on
0: with you emotionally? Was it easy to to give up the last time and say, this is it? Or was it a well, real I- I never painful.
2: left that whole time. I, I would go out and drink for a week and come back and I kept coming to meetings drunk. I even, I think I even chaired once. Tipsy as you call it. Yeah, tipsy. <laughs> but uh, uh, I had someone, one time I showed up, I, I would show up at meetings. Well, for me, I knew the answer was NAA. Mm-hmm. So, whether I was drinking or not, I knew that's where the answer was so I kept coming back. Me getting it had no bearing on whether it worked or not. I knew that's where the answer was.
0: You could just sense it by looking at others.
2: I saw the hope yeah, and I saw that it worked for other people. And I was a lot smarter than the ones that I saw getting it. So I knew, <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right, you know, so I'm, I'm that kind of person, you know, I was a su- successful businessman. I had, I mean, things worked for me. So this was going to work for me. I could figure out how to get God to help me do this. Mm-hmm. And figuring out God. How
1: <laughs> See, can I how can I manipulate yeah. God into taking care of this for well, me? Well, <laughs> you know,
2: I had a real need. This was killing me. Um, I'd been sick. Now, I, I didn't drink. Uh, well, I'd been looking for a spiritual solution for a long time. I probably All my life, I had a, a real experience with God when I was 13, 14 years old. I got involved in church. During my high school years, so I didn't drink a lot through high school. Never drank, actually, did not start drinking alcoholically until my late 20s. So, a little different, you know, a little difference in story. Uh, I started having pressure from uh, work and realized that I was not going to go to hell if I drank. <laughs> so, I started drinking some. Okay. Oh, an element
0: yeah. of not drinking was religious. Yes, yeah.
2: yes, it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was scared. <laughs> that's how they kept us in line as teenagers. You yeah. Know? So, mm. uh, uh, but but I was seeking a spiritual solution from early teens for my life.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So when when I needed help with alcohol, well, that should have been that would
0: sound like it would make it
2: easy. It to does sound like come
0: it. into AA and give it, and surrender to a higher power.
2: It does. But my whole idea of what surrender was and what it took was different from what it really, what what really needed to happen. Um, I had always approached a need in life with that I do all I can. I do my best and God will do the rest, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I do what I can do and ask God to help me with the part that I can't do. I mean, it sounds reasonable. You know, I I have an obligation and a responsibility. I can't just sit around and expect God to do it for me. I do everything I can. He gave me natural abilities, so I do everything I can do, and then God will help me with the part that I cannot
0: do. That's reasonable. Sounds Sounds very
2: plausible. Okay. Mm -hmm. But when uh, I had a business fail, and alcohol really saved my life in the late 90s because I think I would have killed myself if I would not have had alcohol to, to depend on for relief because Al- alcohol
0: works. It I worked. mean, it worked oh, for yeah. me Me too. Yeah. It, yeah. So, until it quit and I
1: mean, it, it, it saved my life as well. I mean, my, I would not have survived my twenties if alcohol hadn't
2: worked. Yeah. And, and so then, you know, what does it? The Japanese say, uh, you have a drink, the drink has a drink, then the drink has you. Yeah. Right. Yep. So, so I, um, uh, so I, I started having problems I'm with move this just a okay. there we go. Okay. So I started having problems with um, uh, with the amount of alcohol I was drinking and drinking every day, starting in the mornings, you know, the whole deal. and I couldn't control my drinking. It had me. And I was like, oh no, I don't know what to do. And I went to the doctor and uh, I was a landlord and I, I carried a pistol all the time because I was either collecting rent or fixing to collect rent. So uh I'm a landlord. I haven't thought about carrying a pistol. You I'm may not, not be landlord. qualified to carry a pistol. <laughs> yeah, I don't think
1: I am. <laughs> I'm not a landlord and I carry a pistol. <laughs> so it's a it's a mixed up crazy world, <laughs> it is. isn't it?
2: <laughs> so uh, I showed up at a rehab and I called my doctor. I said, I gotta I have to stop drinking. And he said, Well go to this rehab. So I went. They started going down the list of questions, said, Have you ever considered suicide? I said, Yes. How would you kill yourself? I said, Probably with a firearm. Next question, do you have a firearm on you now? Yes. I said, Yeah. Because I mean, it's like people carry a pocket knife. I have a little twenty-two pistol in my pocket. And the guy's eyes get big and he leaves the room. <laughs> I'm like, Oh shit, I'm in trouble. So I find the nearest exit door and bam, I'm out of there, right? Yeah. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, I'm gone. Mm -hmm. So uh, they call and say, you can come back, you can come back. And, of course, I didn't go back. Mm -hmm. So uh, a few months later, um, I I had a real sharp pain in my stomach. Went to the hospital, and I had pancreatitis. Ended up having pancreatitis uh, so bad that I lost 90% of my pancreas. Uh, They told my wife at the time, to pick out my pallbearers that I had a 50-50 chance of living. So I had two surgeries in the hospital six weeks over the course of about five months, lost 60 pounds. I was down to like 133 pounds when I got out of the hospital the last time. And uh, so I didn't drink for a while, but then I started drinking again. Had no program, had nothing but health reasons not to drink. I had no defense, no defense against... The, any drink,
0: mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> you know, so, uh, th- that first drink for sure. So, uh, a few months later, uh, I started having other consequences from that, uh, ended up, uh, uh, getting a DUI. And then I said, you know, I've got to do something about this. So I went to a detox and then after the detox, I started going to AA. Oh, well, actually, I actually first started going to a psychologist meeting in, um, uh, one night a week it, that a had a psychologist office meeting. Yeah. The, he, he talked to different, he had like, a, he was he a counselor, a he had a group mm-hmm. and I was the only alcoholic in the group. And um, so I, I you wanted to
0: fix what you, what was wrong that made you drink uncontrollably.
2: Well, these were Is all addicts. True? Yeah. Well, these were all addicts of different kinds. And so I had a lady beside me that had a problem with Laura tab and, She would write scripts and was fixing to go to jail for that. I said, that's crazy. Why would anybody do that? I'd go out and drive on the drink and drive on the way home, you know. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) I I had no identification. I had no – I got no hope from any of that um, at all. And when I went to my first AA meeting, which I went to in a neighboring town so no one would know that I was going – Of course you would. Yeah, yeah. you know. So – I was in business there locally and I didn't want anyone to know I was going to AA. And, uh, so I went to the meeting and the very first meeting, I saw a guy who talked about drinking like I used to drink, didn't know anyone drank like I drank. And, uh, I saw, I got hope there. I got hope at that first meeting that if it worked for him, it could work for me. Was it, what kind of meeting was it? Just, you heard somebody run of the mill, AA meeting, you know, just a normal, you know, open discussion. Mm -hmm. noon meeting Mm -hmm. at a neighboring town so that's when I started going to AA then I eventually started going in my hometown and uh, I I got a sponsor then Uh, started working the steps and I would go yeah working the steps but then I would go drink come back my sponsor would say okay what are you going to do different this time where are you gonna? And he, he stayed with me the entire six years that I was in and out. The entire time. The entire time. How far in those steps did you get when you were? In I those went all six the years. way through the
1: steps. Did you? Oh okay. yeah,
2: yeah. I went all the way through the steps.
0: So that's the, his question. Is my question? W- looking back on it now, what do you determine is
2: what you were not doing? Oh, I know exactly what I was not doing. I never learned how to completely do the first step. Now, I made my amends. Uh, you know, I did portion the other steps, but um, I never knew how to really um, move from God help me not to drink. What, what powerlessness over alcohol really meant? I did not know mm-hmm. because I thought that just meant I needed God to help me a lot with this. <laughs> Okay, there was no submission there. Oh, I see. There was no letting go of my—it was still me doing everything I could do. And then along with that, God helped me with what I couldn't do. And I've got to—what seems to have changed with me with that thought process is, let's say I've got the proverbial fence to get over, whatever the problem is. Um, Used to, I would do everything I could to climb the fence, not think about anyone else but me. Climb the fence, climb the fence. And that little bit that I couldn't get, God had just pushed me over for that you know, amount I couldn't do, right? All right. That was my thought process with that.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Now what I've come to believe and what I do now is, okay, I need to get over this proverbial fence. I don't try to go over the fence. I don't try to do that myself. What I try, What I do is I look around. I say, okay, who else needs help over this fence? And there'll be someone there that needs help. I go over and help them, and before I know it, I'm over the fence. Did that person help me? Did God sit me over the fence? And when I say God, I mean God very loosely, not Mm -hmm. you know just a power greater than me. Uh, But I would not—I don't know how it happened, but I would be over the fence. And I think it's the same because I used to pray God help me with everything that I needed if I needed help with. I don't pray that at all now. I don't need God's help. I need to be able to get out of the way so God can do it. I have a,
1: a, a really cool visual with your fence uh, yeah. analogy there because it's not necessarily God getting me over the fence now. It may be God getting me around the fence, through the fence, under the fence. Maybe God removing the fence. Who knows? It's yeah. it's all these things. And it may be,
2: and it yeah. may be the other person yeah. pulling me up and over. It may be—it could be anything. yeah. You know, it's the effortless effort that we learn that it's not up to me to get me over the fence. Now, I have a part. My part is to submit that, in, in my experience. My part is to submit that and see who else I can help. And if I do that, then the rest just falls into place. And when when I learned that with alcohol, I said, gosh, well, I'm, I'm not going to cuss on the podcast for you guys. Gosh, what else can can this work with, you know, with everything? Maybe so. So I started saying, okay, how can this apply to my real estate business? How can this apply to my marriage? How, how can this apply to getting along with my kids and my mother and, and people I don't like and all the things that we have to you know, life. So then I wanted to apply that same principle there because I wanted the same piece in everything else that I got with alcohol. The second
0: meeting that I went to where I picked up a start chip, I was talking with Marnie, who was someone there that I knew previously before coming to AA, and I was happy to see her there. I was talking to her afterwards, and and I was talking about my business, and I said... Uh, Well, the thing is, I've got this stuff at work and I've got, I don't know how I'm going to work this out. I've got to make this happen. If I'm going to go to AA, what am I going to do about work? And I was, I was in a frenzy about it. And she said, you know, Don, it says in the step that we're powerless over alcohol that we talked about at this meeting. And I was going, yeah. Well, we're powerless over a lot more than just alcohol. We're powerless over everything. And I went, whoa, this thing is deep.
1: <laughs> Wait a minute. Y'all have laid a trap. This is yeah. this is bait and switch. You mean it's not just about alcohol? It's not
2: just about alcohol. Well, well you know, we find that alcohol is just a symptom anyway. It's we that. we yeah. hear that. exactly. So yeah. that's part of that, too. What does, totally. that, what
0: does that mean? I didn't understand that when I came in. What does that mean, alcohol is just a symptom?
2: For me, that means that um, my problem was a hole in my life that I was trying to fill that I needed a spiritual awakening for. And I was filling that hole with alcohol instead of this relationship with a higher power that I'm supposed to have. That's what's happened with me. And that's why it was a symptom. You know, I'm I'm a one solution person. You know, before I would drink no matter what was going on. Mm -hmm. During that time, if it was good, if things were bad, if you know whatever it was, I would I would use alcohol. You know, we've all heard in meetings taking the promises and how many of those applied to when we were drinking what alcohol did for us in those yeah. promises. So I'm still a one solution person. One solution, but what was the solution? I mean, specifically,
0: what kind of alcohol?
2: Oh, what kind of alcohol? Yeah, okay, I'm sorry. now I'm talking Not-
0: about I'm talking about literally a solution. Oh, oh, not even Bruce in, off was my solution. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I would go to another liquor store if I couldn't get, uh, what was that? Uh, <laughs> whatever Sterno. Go. That's it. <laughs> That's it. Okay, so you had one solution, and that was alcohol. Now I, ha- I still have only one solution, and that solution is to let go and find someone to help. Get out of the way. I want to read you something. This is. I a- really
0: like the way that you're. Yes, uh, I really like the way that you're focused on. What I need to do is turn my attention to how I can help someone else as mm-hmm. the solution.
2: Mm-hmm. That, see how I got on that was, you know, we've we've always heard that God is love. Mm-hmm. Okay, it doesn't say God loves, which you could say that, but the actual act of loving. Is what, God? That's what God is. The act itself.
0: The act of love.
2: Yes. Yeah. And, and if I'm loving someone, I'm doing. I'm. I'm working against those four problems that we have. That we see. I think page eighty-four: the selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. Because I can't be in selfishness. I can't be in dishonesty. I can't be in resentment. I can't be in fear if I'm loving. If you're
0: loving, you're manifesting, not your lower power.
1: But you're higher, yes,
2: yes, exactly. So I'm making that was very
1: Dick, not Don. (laughs) I am a spiritual giant. Want to
2: hear more Dick, not Don?
1: (laughs) Spiritual (laughs) gas giant, folks. I was waiting for it. I was waiting for it. Thanks for the cue up there, Don. (laughs) Uh, Buddy, please continue. (laughs) You're going to read us something.
2: (laughs) Oh, yes, let me read you guys this. Oh, I was going to quote too. Now, this is one of the Beatitudes. We find that when we're full of care, we find ourselves cared for. We're not cared for first, then we're full of care. We're full of care, being caring for someone else. Mm-hmm. Then we're cared for. So we make room for a higher power to care for us when we care for someone else. Mm-hmm. It goes into that. You see, you could take the steps... I know, do y'all like to substitute and change the steps around? Y'all are not some of those folks that do that sometimes, are you?
0: Well, yeah. I mean, I, I like... Uh, <laughs> if
1: y'all could see my face
2: looking at Don right now.
0: Yeah, it's like, uh, made a list of all people we have harmed and asked God to remove
2: them. Yeah. All. Oh. Now, if you, you you can take the steps and substitute the word love for God in okay. the steps. And 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 when I did that, I could see how this could just like you could replace the word good for God, which I, I've read some of the things where that some of the Buddhist meetings that mm-hmm. that's part of what they do. Mm-hmm. So what I was going to read you was um, from uh, this is from I was a pagan, which is which was written by V C Kitchens. He got sober in the Oxford groups before AA. He was actually in the uh, businessman's group with Bill Wilson. Mm-hmm. So you can you can hear a lot of big book in this, but he was talking about his transformation. He said that these ambitions, hypocrisies, and vices were not drained out when I transferred my belief in one plan or philosophy of life to another. They were not drained out by making New Year's resolutions, and they were not disposed of by going to psychoanalysts, remember the 1930s psychoanalysts, or by going to church. They were drained out by stopping the self-effort to get rid of them, by letting God take hold to do the job, and by putting God first in life. So when he got out of the way and let God do it. So see, this was all the influence on Bill Wilson before the big book. Yeah,
1: You know, one of the things that comes to mind, I heard at a meeting, I think it was in a meeting recently, um, uh, who knows, it might have been Don, you know, but uh, (laughs) um, that uh, 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 the person was talking about how uh, when they came in, they kept on, like, thinking about not drinking, I can't drink, I'm not going to drink, I can't and it was pointed out to them that thinking about not drinking is still thinking about drinking, Mm -hmm. and that was really present in my head while you were reading that, because thinking about fixing myself is still thinking about myself and the problem right that's a- when i get god centered which i can do that by how can i serve others then i'm not thinking
2: about myself and lo and behold the magic can happen exactly you know and that's the great thing like when i think it's um, 84 in the big book step 10 when we when we see the selfishness the dishonesty the resentment and the fear I mean, we have some clear-cut direction there on what to do when those things pop up. You know, we uh, we ask God to remove it. Uh, we tell someone about it immediately. I'm not verbatim here, but this is how it works. <laughs> immediately, we uh, make an amend if we need to, and we resolutely turn our thoughts to someone we can help. So, you know, right after that is when we start uh, talking about we cease fighting anything and anyone, even alcohol.
0: This is what, when I... I thought if I could figure out why I drank that I would fix my problem, and I started going to therapy to see what it was and learned all about my parents and what they did to me. I broke through all kinds of denial about myself. I began to understand kind of the way I operated on a subconscious level that was self-sabotaging it did not touch my drinking the whole time. I was thinking <laughs> well, this is going to help me so that I don't have to drink to excess every day, and and I got an enormous amount of understanding about the way that I operate psychologically. All the same stuff that we had that we learn in the fourth step and the fifth step. But the, what I found is the the problem with therapy by itself for an alcoholic is that's not a solution for what my problem really is, which is not the alcohol. I've got to get clean house and help others. And that's everything that you said right there, buddy. Exactly. Clean house and
2: help others. Mm -hmm. That's what we have to do. I didn't know how to clean house.
0: I didn't know how to clean house, and I didn't know how to genuinely help others.
1: You know, I didn't I, I didn't know how to clean house, and I didn't want to at that point, because alcohol was a solution. Mm-hmm. Well, but, alcohol worked for a good number of years, mm-hmm. but when it stopped, and I was driven to my knees, and I was either kill yourself or find a
2: new way of living. That's what I had to do. I finally just got down to the point to where I said, okay, God, either you are or you're not. My solutions are over. I cannot drink any more. Either you do this or I'm out of here. Hmm. Is this I an had actual this, prayer? That this you is had? an actual, That was as best I can recall. That was the prayer. What brought that? Just to the miserableness of the back and forth. The, the alcohol.
0: Picking up another
2: start. <laughs> Just, chip. Well, I didn't. I quit picking up chips. I didn't pick up chips. Even that first year I stayed sober, I didn't pick up chips because I, I didn't want to jinx it. <laughs> I didn't want to mess. I mean, I was staying sober, so I didn't even, and I quit picking up white chips years earlier because I would go a month or maybe go a week or maybe go three months. I think one time I might have went nine months,
0: you know, out of the six was years. was part of it, uh, ego and not wanting to be seen picking up chips?
2: Oh, at that point, yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah. I was just, I was tired of I, I just was not, you know. I, it wasn't working, you know. Mm-hmm. I, I was mm-hmm. not being successful with this, you mm-hmm. know. So, so I stopped. You know, I stopped picking up chips. But uh, that was that the prayer last I had time, to.
0: So, what was the what was the thing emotionally that got you to well, the place? There was no big, surrender.
2: It was it was just. I, they say sick and tired of being sick and tired. It I was, was just miserable. It was nothing new. It was an educational variety of surrender. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it was. I mean, finally, I just said, you know, I said, God, I finally got to the point of suicide, I guess. I'd gotten, I'd tried so much, so many times, and I was so miserable and tired of this back and forth, back and forth, no control. I still don't have control over alcohol, but I handle it a different way now, you know. Mm -hmm. And um, I didn't know how to do what, what kitchens was talking about i didn't know how to stop fighting and get out of the way and let god do it you know i didn't know how and when i finally got to the point where i said okay i'm done it started working (laughs) you know it started working you
0: you just told my story that's a that's the fuck it prayer
2: yeah well
1: yeah. yeah yeah. Mine was a shortened version of what you described, but I came in in the fall of, of 2002, and I picked up a start chip, and I picked up a start chip, and I picked up a start chip, and I, I remember, I think the last start chip I picked up uh, at that point was at a candlelight meeting, and the only reason I picked it up was because they couldn't see me, mm-hmm. because I got so fucking tired of being of walking up to pick up that chip, a failure. Mm-hmm. And that's what I felt like every single time. And then I went out for five months and then came back and picked up another chip and then 42 days later drank again and picked mm. up a chip. Oh, um, See, this is a story
0: like the stories of, of Bill in the big book where it was like, this was it. This is finally it. Then I'm drunk again. Yeah, you know, But this is it. Yeah, And then I'm drunk again. and And I've had that experience again and again.
1: So I, I relate to what you were talking about about you know six years of that. Mine was you know six months, but it it was still that thing where it was the same feeling of just being over it, hmm. and I
2: can't do this anymore. You know, my first sponsor, he went through a similar scenario himself. So that I'm sure that's why God put us together. Because he was able to have the patience with me because I was him. Yeah, <laughs> Before, yeah. You know, that was and perfect. Yeah, yeah. Someone God else would us. have gone.
0: I'm not the one who can help you, obviously. But he <laughs> <laughs> he had had that experience, and you know we we get the people we need you know?
2: when we need them. I've had three different sponsors and needed each of them at the time that I had them. So yeah. he moved just as I was getting my one year chip. So. It, was, it, it worked out just like it needed to. Yeah. My second sponsor would have had no idea how to deal with me with that. He would have fired me for sure. Mm-hmm. You know, but Matt kept loving me. He said, okay, come on, let's go eat breakfast and let's talk. It couldn't have been any different, I don't think.
1: That's fantastic. I have a question for you. Because uh, I am working on steps six and seven with my sponsor right now. We just met on Thursday and and talked about them. And I have my seventh step uh, direction from him. Uh, We went through and did a uh, a listing of my character defects called from my inventory. And then opposite each wrote the opposite of the character defect. And I'm tasked with praying the seventh step prayer daily and reviewing this list and being mindful of it. And in asking of God to to remove these character defects and try to live into the opposites. What's your experience with step seven?
2: Let me read step seven so I've got the exact verbiage correct.
0: Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly ask him to remove our shortcomings.
2: With six and seven, I've been taught that six was the things that I needed to change, and seven was the things that I was not doing. Like, seven would be those things that I'm supposed to be doing that I'm not. Okay. I just heard that in a completely different way. Yeah. Yeah, see, your shortcomings, the ways that, you know, the ways we need to improve. Where I'm falling short. Where you're falling short. Yeah. Your shortcomings. Yeah.
1: Which I always equated that to to Bill just being his flowery language and not wanting to say the same thing twice. Right. Mm Mm-hmm. But my character defects or what I've been doing wrong mm-hmm. and the shortcut. I mean, that's shortcuts. Shortcomings are, are where I've been falling short. What right. I've not been
2: doing. Right. right. I love that. The, I you, love no.
0: that too. Yeah. yeah. So but, that's the opposite
2: of your character defects. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, and in six, you know, it, it just says that we're ready to have God remove all these, not that we ask him to remove them or that we insist that he do this. Mm-hmm. I'm just ready. I let go. These are my defects.
1: I'm willing. But, but I mean, that is one of those things of that doesn't mean that they're all going to be removed. It's going to be no. what's standing in the way. Mm-hmm. And one of the things i found
0: is uh, I ask God to remove my character defects on a daily basis because I'm starting over every day. I have found I can find myself being active in a character defect and not even being aware of it. And that's happened to me. Like, for example, my wife had found us a new house, a beautiful larger house. It was in our price range. We could afford it. And we moved. And I was acting like a victim the whole time. Not because I didn't want to move. Not because it wasn't the right thing to do it was just to make her dance on eggshells and treat me gingerly because that's the way that my i call it my victimhood it it's selfishness. Mm-hmm. I lost my point.
1: Well, together. I'm just totally I just want to point this out. What I'm totally hearing is that it gives you a license to manipulate so you can feel special. <laughs> that's that's the way I use it.
0: Right. And yes, and I would do that. And I was doing that with the move, and I was taking a shower, and I said, i, I got to do my prayer, and I asked God to remove my character defects, and I ran down my list, of which I've got six things, and one of them is victimhood. And when I said victimhood, it was like, uh, uh-oh, last two weeks, I have been totally playing the victim and making her dance around, and I need to tell her I appreciate everything that she's done. It was complete. I, was, I had been doing it for 2 weeks. I had actually been praying the prayer for 2 weeks, but for some reason that day I saw it and it was removed and I made amends for it and you know started participating fully in us moving.
2: You know, you know the problem with praying that kind of prayer hmm. is that for God to remove a character defect, it's gonna have to flare up so you can see it. (laughs) It's the truth. You're you're setting yourself up, you know, it's like praying for patience and you get a line to stand in, you know? Yes, (laughs) yes. It's the
0: truth. But that's really good because all this stuff happens in life all the time. And if I'm aware of the way I'm operating, I mean that's kind of what makes life and recovery so much better than living life outside of recovery is I'm aware of what's going on and I don't have to live inside of this resentment
1: and anger and victimhood and fear. All right. So i got a question for you then. So you've got all this self-knowledge. You had self-knowledge before after going through all that therapy and all that. Right. What's the difference? Well, the difference is I'm asking
0: God for help. I'm looking outside of myself. I think I I think the difference is with therapy. It's really self knowledge is what it is. That's I, all it is. I agree. And then there is not that other element and
2: self surrender.
0: Yeah, the mm-hmm. the surrender to it's surrender to a power greater than myself. And that's been my journey the whole time mm-hmm. that I've been in recovery.
2: Any success I've had is when I've let go. You know, and the, and the thing is, I got to say this sounds to me. When I first came in, this sounds like bull, for sure, because I have a part, you know, and I've got work that I have to do. I mean, if I if I'm depending on a higher power, I'm air quotes. What are you depending on? Yeah, It's this bullshit? What do you What do you mean? Well, you've got to get out and work. You got to do your part. Yeah, but
0: <laughs> you know, but letting go of that is where the solution is. That's, yes, that has been for me.
2: Yeah. Exactly, me too. To take a hold to something new, you have to let go of what you have. You know, Mm -hmm. yeah. You have Mm -hmm. to. You you can't hold on to something new if you are sitting there with a clenched fist. (laughs) That's right.
1: (laughs) It is. I'm letting
0: go just as hard as 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 I I possibly can.
1: But I really (laughs) do like pointing out that you know, before recovery, I did the self knowledge thing too. I, I went to psychiatrists. I did therapy. I did the stuff. And I had self-knowledge. And it's and good. It's useful. It breaks through denial. It certainly does. Things. But in recovery, self-knowledge is still useful. It's not something for me to eschew. It is a part of this. It's a part of the program. What, what are it four is. and five? Yeah. Absolutely st- yeah. um, uh, self-knowledge. A personal inventory is self-knowledge. But there's that extra something, and it is that letting go. And, it, it's and,
2: really the purpose of it. You know, the purpose isn't so... That you can fix yourself. Yes. Because we can't fix ourselves. This is not about me understanding what my problem is mm-hmm. so that I can deal with it. Right. <laughs> I, I love the phrase, a sick mind can't heal itself. Right. Yeah. All right. So
0: we've been up in the thin air here a whole lot, buddy.
2: <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> let's, come I, earth, let's come back down to earth, Let's come back down to earth.
0: Can you share with us a personal experience of making amends with someone that turned out differently than what you expected.
2: Yes. Wife number one. What happened? I did not know how to make amends to her. She had stuck with me the whole time, six years, back. not not to mention all of the crap before that. Mm-hmm. Then the six years of in and out, in and out. So then I get sober and I divorce her. Mm-hmm. Okay. She says I ruined her life, all these things. It, in hindsight, still, it was the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. But, I, and I was talking, about, and I didn't make an amend to her until three years ago. And I've been sober, right. At 10, so I was at six to seven years before I made a real amend to her. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, a physical sit-down, face-to-face amend. Face-to-face mm-hmm. amend. And I was talking to my sponsor. I said, how do I do this? What do I do? Because, you know, she's going to be, I mean, I mean, there's no way I can make up to her what I've done wrong to her, you know, in my thinking. I can't do that. There's no way. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how to do this. He said, well, he said, what do you appreciate in her? I said, hmm. I said, she was a good mother, and there was other things I could say that I, he says, Well. Why don't you give her that? She knows how bad you were. She knows you regret that from your behavior the last few years, how how your behavior has changed toward her, and it had. He said, you're living that. He says, just go tell her the good things that you can tell her, that you thank her for the ways that she's been a help to you. Ooh. Where did he get that? mm that is beautiful. And so I'd never heard anyone make an amend in that way. You know that makes
0: total sense.
2: It does. it does. So how else could how what a better way for me to give to her than for me to tell her how I appreciate her. Mm-hmm. So I met her at Starbucks and somewhere public so that if there wouldn't be a big scene, no screaming and yelling or any right. you know, I had not sit down with her, gosh, years since we had had a physical face to face conversation.
0: If you don't mind sharing, was the uh, relationship kind of hostile or?
2: No, it was not hostile. Uh, We we still talked some with the kids, but it was, we went a couple of years and didn't speak and just texted only. And it got a little Mm -hmm. hostile uh, after the divorce. She was so angry. Mm -hmm. And so eventually things had softened up as far as, you know, us getting along. But still it was, it was very uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. You know, it was very uncomfortable. So I sat down and just told her, uh, I came up with a few ways that things I appreciated, I just sat down and told her, mm-hmm. and then shut my mouth and didn't ramble, <laughs> and what she it was, doing? she was happy and grateful and understanding, and it, it just could not have worked better. I get, I'm wow. teary thinking about it, you know, how great it was, you know, to, to get that, relief and and being able to really more of maybe give her some relief to you know mm-hmm. that you know that she blame herself for things and all that and i was able to you know to have a conversation with her and thank her for for what uh, i appreciated in her and uh that worked very well that worked very well um, i was really surprised wow
0: that is mm-hmm. beautiful yeah, that's is. building I, a bridge
1: well, I mean, one of the things that I have experienced for myself and heard many other people talk about is that we can reconnect relationships can heal through this program. Uh, that doesn't mean they all do, but a lot of a lot of
2: them do. No, exactly. and that I had a sponsee that uh, he needed to make an amend to an ex-wife. We're sitting there on Saturday morning. He said, well, I'm ready to make my men to her. He says, but I haven't talked to her in five years. What do I do? I said, well, just pray. Ask God to open a door for you. And when he does, just step through. Just respond. Mm -hmm. You know, offer it up. Offer offer this need up. I said, and then just respond. Hasn't talked to her in five years. It was three or four hours later, he calls me. He says, you're not going to believe what happened. What? He said, she texted me after I left your house wow. and told me she had some of my dad's tools and did I want them.
1: Wow. Way <laughs> that will, is There's a Quaker so cool. expression
0: called way will open.
2: Yes. Yes. And
0: I really like that.
1: That is, was, that is some neat
0: stuff. That <laughs> is. I, I had someone I needed to make amends to. In fact, it was the one person I didn't want to make amends to because it was my worst behavior I was against this guy and I was talking with my sponsor about it, and we met for lunch frequently. We went to a Mexican restaurant this one day and sat down. My sponsor was sitting across from me in the booth, and this guy walks into the restaurant and sits down, nods at me, sits down at the booth behind my sponsor, and I went, Oh, no! (laughs) you won't believe who just walked in. We've been talking about him and I hadn't seen him in a long time. We did. Our paths didn't cross. What a coincidence. My sponsor said, well, I think it's time for you to actually make that amends. So I had to finish writing it out and get down what my part was with my sponsor and then contact that guy and make
1: amends. But uh, way will open.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Way will open. And that's that part of uh, became entirely willing to make amends. With my being entirely willing when way opens, then I do it. Well, who left that
0: window open?
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's time for our old timers question.
0: Call an old timer.
1: You, that's what happens if you don't drink and you don't
0: die. Well, no matter how long you've been sober, it's still one day at a time. Sonny. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, buddy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> if you want to ask a question, go to boiledowlaa.org. <laughs> Oh, I'm so glad. That that was close to a spit take. Uh, (laughs) We have a question from Stacy in Washington. Stacy asks, how long do I have to go to meetings? What's the number of meetings per week or month based on how long you've been sober? Ooh, (laughs) math. (laughs)
0: It's math. Well. What the, the secret is to cut back on meetings until you drink and then add one.
1: That's your typical old-timer answer. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, another old-timer thing that I, that I like a lot is go to meetings until you want to. And then, of course, you'll go because you want to. And then you don't have to you know, worry about it. It's a real trick. But the answer's in the meetings. The whole program is in the meetings. My sponsor's in the meetings. My sponsees are in the meetings. I have to go to meetings to, to stay awake and aware of everything that's going on in my life. How many times have I been to a meeting and realized, oh, I haven't been letting go? I've spent the last seven hours fighting something, and I go to a meeting, and suddenly it's, it's absolutely clear. Or I've been to a meeting last Thursday and realized I need to make amends. Just, we were talking about immense and the Venus. Oh, oh, I did do something. I'm still waiting for that. (laughs) It wasn't you. You know, it's not all about you, Sam.
1: If I'm present, it
0: is. (laughs) I don't fight going to meetings anymore. I think at the beginning, I went to a meeting every day, sometimes twice a day. Mm -hmm. I did 90 and 90, which is what you hear a whole lot. Mm -hmm. If I were to move... The first thing I would do is 90 and 90 because it would plug me into the, the community of AA. And that's what I need to do when I first got sober. These are the people that are going to save my life. I don't know what to do. So I need to go to meetings. And now, more years into recovery, it's like, how many meetings do I have to go to? Well, I can tell when I'm starting to be squirrely. And I've figured it out that for me, three or four meetings is the answer. And then I also meet with sponsees. I also have recovery conversations here on the boiled-down. So, buddy, this counts as a meeting.
2: I can put a checkbox. You can buddy. put a checkbox <laughs> by this <laughs> one. Okay.
1: Don will sign your sheet. Thank you. I appreciate that. will sign your sheet <laughs> yeah. for you. And um, I wondered who was going to do that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so it's all these things. One thing that I heard early on that I like a, a lot is everything that I do in AA is something that I'm putting between me and a drink. So if I've made a commitment to chair a meeting, well then I've got to go chair that meeting. That's something that I've got to do before I get drunk. If I've got a meeting to go to today, I've got to do that for If I've promised to call my sponsor, I've got to do that. Each one of these things keeps me away from drinking. I have to walk through those things before I can pick up a drink. And if I don't have all those things there, that drink is a lot closer. So going to meetings is a way to keep it green in the long term, and it's a way to keep me focused on my recovery I'm like a toddler. When my son was 2 years old, he would take off running in some direction and it was so easy to just pick him up and point him, you know, away from the road. And point him in a different direction. And he take off and run that way. And I you know, my mind is exactly like that. I'm like a toddler emotionally. <laughs> I, I go to a meeting and the meeting picks me up and points me in the right direction. I love that analogy. Good analogy.
2: I've never heard that one. I would have a quick I think Stacy is it Stacy from Washington? Stacy from Washington. I think Stacy's maybe asking the wrong question if she's wanting to know what's the minimum she's got to do. I would be asking um what do I have to do to be free? You know, not what I must do so I don't drink. Because mm-hmm. I want to be free. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, if all I'm trying to do is keep from drinking,
1: that's I'm not pretty interested. miserable existence. That's a
2: miserable existence, you know. And I found with uh, uh, with meetings, uh, if there's someone there that our personalities conflict, or you know, the very few people I don't like. But personalities or political views or whatever the case, you know, or the ones that I think don't know anything, you know, the ones that that mumble about something that I really don't think have very good sobriety, those are the ones I need to listen to the most because they're the ones that I always hear God through, or the ones I don't want to listen to, or the ones I don't like. I make sure and listen, I never get up and get coffee while they're talking.
1: Gotcha. All right. It's always
2: someone I really like, you know. That I get a. <laughs> they can take it. <laughs> they can take, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but that's kind of me letting go of situations in my life too. That's me in a way I can give to those people too, you know. Because I don't want to give to them. I need to do a lot of times the opposite of what I really want to do. <laughs>
0: so, so listening to them is good listening is them. the
2: opposite because they don't. I know <laughs> ten times more than they know. Right. You know, but it's not about what you know. It's about listening it's about relationship
1: Mm -hmm. what about you sam Hmm. you know and for me it's waxed and waned over the years i there have been times when i've done one meeting a week minimum and in times that i've done well i mean when i started i was doing eight meetings a week minimum right now uh where i am so 15 years away from a drink six years quote unquote sober from all stuff I have two to four meetings a week that I'm going to. I've got my home group on Wednesday nights, young people, the best meeting around. And then I go to the men's meeting on Saturday mornings. Those are the two that are like my regulars. And then there's a Saturday night meeting uh, as well that I'll go to the, the gay meeting. Sometimes I'll go to the uh, the meeting after that, which is also one of my home groups meetings. I don't go to all of my home groups meetings. Um, I go to one of my home groups meetings. That's the one that we also have the business meeting that night of. Mm-hmm. Occasionally, I'll do a Thursday night meeting. Sometimes I'll go to a Tuesday night meeting. You know what it boils down to? I think for me, is being aware of my condition. And being willing to go to a meeting when I don't want to go to a meeting. Because that's probably when I really need one.
0: There was that song, I just dropped
1: in to see what condition my condition is in. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, yeah. So, I mean, so my meetings, I've got my commitment of my home group meeting. I've got the pretty strong commitment of the men's meeting. And then I fill in as needed. Or wanted, because sometimes I just want to go see my friends. That's the truth. You know, you get to a point like,
0: there's nowhere else I'd rather be. Mm -hmm. (laughs) All my friends are there. People are talking about real things. There's not small talk. I I have the hardest time with small small talk. talk. (laughs) And there's no
1: small talk. This is real life. We We, we already know what we have in common. We don't have to try to find it through small talk. Right. Buddy, thanks for joining us. I've enjoyed it, guys.
2: Super glad. glad to have you.
0: Quite a you got a drive ahead of you.
2: Oh, it's not that bad. Five and a half hours, maybe. That's all.
0: <laughs> I think maybe he's a little bit obsessive, Sam.
2: Enthusiast. He's an enthusiast. An enthusiast.
0: He's an enthusiast. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: Thanks for joining us. The Boiled Owl podcast is posted on the 1st and 15th of every month. Visit our website at boiledowlaa.org or email us at giveahoot at boiledowlaa.org. If you want to know more about AA, Google Alcoholics Anonymous in your city or visit aa.org. Please note, Boiled Owl AA is produced by members of AA and only expresses our opinion and experience. It is not endorsed by AA World Services.
2: Uh, I don't have a good owl, but I've got a good cow. Let's hear hey. it. Murr.
1: Murr. That sounds murr. kind of like those people that were coming out of that church when you were sitting yeah, there
0: drunk run. waiting
1: for the store to open,
0: Don.
2: <laughs> murr. Murr, murr. That sounds
0: like a weak-minded cow brain.
2: Drunk cow, maybe. I don't know. <laughs>